This is for the nerds. This is for the brainiacs. This is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it, man. I know that I know. Daniel Negreanu on the podcast, vlogcast. We, we hit all the majors today. Yeah, Google's hitting me up. They're like, yo, yo, listen, we need the exclusive. We can't be having all this, like, Twitter and all this stuff. Like, it stays here on YouTube. And I was like, I don't know, man. Cut the check. Cut the check. Yeah. And they were like. All right, so new you, shaved head. It's not shaved. It's just, like, kind of. You're, uh, you're giving me accountability free rolls if you don't walk every day, if you don't hit the sauna every day, gym. Listen, if y'all want free rolls. You got to create your own accountability too, mm-hmm. right? So it's like if you miss anything of your routine, bang, you get punished, hundred dollars. In Bitcoin, and if, and if you get excuses, two hundred. In Bitcoin, in whatever form you want. No, no, I want it in Bitcoin. I'll fucking give you Google shares. They already talked to me today. <laughs> Google shares. You don't want right. Google shares? That's, no, I do. I that's do. Nice. But a lot of things on the docket today. GG main event champion. Not USA version, because mm. I guess we're like a different thing. We're like Texas. We don't even want to be part of nothing, mm. right? Crowned. My man, Damian Salas. He was 2018 WSOP final table. Place number seven. $1.4 million. Hope he put it in Bitcoin. But anyway, he's going to be flying in for a million dollar free roll. Are you excited about it? It's just like, I don't know. I mean, it's... It's interesting. I think it's a cool story that he's already final table the main event once. He's coming back to the Rio to just play for a free rolled million bucks. Mm-hmm. I imagine they're going to have to work out some sort of deal. Like none of these guys are so rich that they're just playing heads up for a million, right? Like a million or nothing. You would you would make a deal? Yeah, I'd make a fucking deal. WSP doesn't. Uh, they don't. They don't facilitate deals. Who cares? This isn't hard to get done. You got to trust this guy. Or you just got to come with the paperwork. Just have him ship you some Bitcoin ahead of time. You got to come with the paperwork. You got to. It's crazy, right? I mean, yeah, I guess you could do it uh, ahead of time, right? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I I guess like, yeah, there is a certain trust factor, but I'm sure that they could work out an escrow. They're going to have plenty of time. I'm not sure when the heads up match takes place, but the American final table isn't until December 28th. So they already have... Two weeks prior to that, where he can contact the final table list. But even if that doesn't occur, there's still going to be some downtime between the 28th and when they play. I'm sure it won't be till 2021. Yeah. Sometime. For sure. For sure. The USA version final table is now in play. Right? So you played. And um, now we have a couple notables. The first one being... Your man's the Green Hornet. What was what was that superhero that was a green? He was like a, he had like the, a the Green thing. Lantern. Yeah, yeah. My man, Apeshka da Silva, the Green Lantern, bro. He's he's lit. He always wears that the green the green jacket. He's laggy as fuck. I love it. The king of the lags. Yeah, there was I hint. told you you were the last true lag. Nah, Pesh counts. Pesha's in, but he's MTT. Like, you know. Doesn't matter. He's he's wild, man. He's crazy. Um, yeah, happy to see him there. Daniel folded a, a big hand to him outside of the money bubble. Folded mm-hmm. Jacks in a spot where I said that I think it's a call in general, but it's for sure a call against Pesh. Uh, Pesh had nines. Daniel would have won. Big, big pot. Um, he was at my table, actually. No, that's not true. 
he got moved to my table after I busted because I was still sweating the tournament. Um, but yeah, he had all the chips for the vast majority of what I saw, like while they were in the money and whatnot. Not shocked to see him there. Uh, I think he's eight of nine though. So he's not exactly living large in this particular scenario. So they have a couple notables. Also, Joseph Herbert. I don't really know him too well, but he is coming in with a huge chip lead. Um, it's interesting, right? Because the GG main event, I'm not sure if they did. Have you ever seen a final table on GG where like... They, yeah, yeah, they didn't do that live. Right. They just drew seats. Right. That's cool. Um, yeah, man. I, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the the heads up match for a million dollars. I kind of hope they just play it, man. Like, it'll just be like kind of cool to watch. Like, I mean, we'll never know, obviously, but nah, like, I mean, we'll know all of a sudden some weird hands are going down that make no sense. Well, they can not. Yeah. They chop. Cannot, they can not even make it obvious. Well, no, they could just not chop even. True. True. You know, they could just do like a leave a hundred K to play for or something right. like that. It's way more reasonable than playing for seven figures. Oh, I thought you meant like not chop even like, Nah, man, I'm better than you. Yeah, yeah, they come in, they come in even in chips, and the the Americans like, nah, I want one and a half to one. Yeah, yeah. All right, another thing that happened uh, before we get into this interview with Daniel is High Stakes Poker was released last night. Yep. And what do you think about the show? I saw it. I was excited, man. I I I threw up the tweet. I was like, yo, my man Durr is out there. There was like my man before you, you know, mm. and. I was like, let's go. Like, there's in the mix. And then I go to hit it and, like, it's down. <laughs> and I was like, so sad. I was like, what is happening? Like, yeah. there was like a glitch in the matrix. It was, it was a weird thing, but finally got up. I thought the first episode was fucking great. Like, I don't know who my man is that used to be a pitcher, but this guy is a star. Michael Schwimmer. Yeah, he's not playing. Yeah. He's like, let's go. Four, cold fours from the small with the ace three offsuit, not folding anything, value betting the 10 six after not getting three bet by ace jack. No, 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 that was Durr. No, no. Durr oh, had the 10 six. Durr had the 10 six? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, all right, but what'd you think about the first episode? There was a lot of, you know, I, I'd love to see, I, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought that uh, the gameplay was shockingly wild. I guess, like, I shouldn't ever be surprised when Rick is in the game. Um, it wasn't even Rick. Well, I mean, he started a lot of yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. He just put on a lot of 1600s where, where people were really going out. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was great. I thought that the, the, the live ones, if you will, really put on a show. And uh, the pros were kind of a lot more handcuffed. Than you expect. It's it's only one episode. It's only Shut you know up, maybe an bro. hour and a half. Durr to play. was in the mix. He hit the three bet with bro, the four three of diamonds pre. All right, sure. They should have edited that one out. But <laughs> but at the end of the day, he was three betting the four three suited. He was coming in with you know, yeah. He was doing his thing, bro. It was like dirt. Yeah, there he was some, the nine eight off, bro. Yeah, there was some wild shit. JRB just opening nine do suited for five x. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of straddles taking place. Petrangelo had like some good hands and some. Not great spots, I guess. Uh, he did get, I don't know if you want to call it a cooler or whatever, but like he flats twice with yeah. ace jack suited uh, versus Durr's 10 6 suited. And my man Schwimmer squeezing, I think, the ace four off. Apparently, like 14 was his baseball number. So every time he gets ace four, he just plays it aggro. Nice. No, That's not nice. Like he's like cold calling tens and four betting ace four. Listen, I don't get this, it. This guy did a little interview segment and he was like, Bro, I used to play high stakes on the plane with the baseball players. Yeah, yeah. That, that shit's legit. Yeah. Baseball players like to gamble, and uh, especially like pitchers, because they're just spending most of their off days 
not playing the pitchers game that's what you need to get into bro. yeah get into the pitchers the game. jonathan like, papelbon game yeah get in there man sandy go to san diego you know get into some one of those padres games mm, padres aren't aren't cutting man you got to get to a bigger market get in the la market you know oh you got to go to the la market yeah padres. Who's, the, who's the dominican dude from la he's kind of cool i don't know man I, i'm like a guy that likes i, I kind of see the strategy they're going for like oh on on a certain day they release poker after dark boom so you come in log in next next time they release uh high stakes poker boom so now you have to log in again you know so there and then i kind of saw like what's coming down the pipeline they also have like wsop asia or whatever like they have things coming down the pipeline a lot of people are used to the either the streams or like a netflix type of type of thing where all the episodes drop at the same time this is a little different this is more like kind of similar to like old school tv where it's like you have to tune in on monday eight o'clock you know and come in what do you think about that um i'll be interested to see how it plays out like for someone like me um i won't watch it weekly uh, i just won't like i happened to catch it yesterday because you were pretty pumped for it and you were watching but mm-hmm. uh, i don't think streaming apps work that way like i wouldn't show up to netflix every week to watch my favorite show i just wait till it's done yeah uh i do that with showtime and billions like i don't show i don't I don't show up weekly to watch the latest episode i just wait until that season's put on uh the streaming service in a full dump yeah man listen brian you gotta you gotta listen to your people you know what i'm saying i'm not you know i, I know i don't know if we're on like first name terms or whatever mm. but you're my man brian you know you're chilling you know you're one of the reasons i'm in here you know what i'm saying just drop the whole thing like just drop it up to him Come on, man. Stop, Stop writing. Stop writing. Be like, I'm not writing shit unless you guys drop it all at the same time. It's up to you, man. Showtime, Showtime HBO, Cinemax, uh, they seem to be the only streaming platforms that still go. I, I guess that's not true. I guess like all network TV still releases uh, weekly. Like Saturday Night Live will still update weekly. But again, that's like another show where it's like, I don't watch it weekly anymore. I'll just watch like five or six in a drop. I think this is why. Ready? I think the strategy is... If they drop it all at once, a lot of people would just like sign up, watch it all, boom, and then cancel. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So I think they're just saying, okay, if we drop it, you know, with some stagnation, we have, we retain longer, right? Because now it'll be two months. I think that's months. true. I mean, we do that with Poker Out Loud. I, I do think it's a smart strategy. It also keeps like Twitter engaged weekly. Um, I'll just be curious to see like, basically, I think like Poker After Dark also has to be good and keep people with that sort of buzz. Because remember, that's like, that's not a reboot anymore. Mm-hmm. That's That's been their product for three years now. And uh, it's kind of gone through some, I, I guess, like evolution. Uh, where now we're back to what I assume is going to be like the produced shows. Like I imagine the next Poker After Dark episode, that la- or maybe it already launched. It already sure. launched. I wasn't, uh, you know, I'll just leave my opinion out. Is it, but I'm assuming it's like episodic, like. Yeah, it's the same, same Yeah, concept. so like 60 minutes. 45 minutes. 45 minutes, whatever, yeah. Episodic, tune in every week. Yeah, yeah. Certain time and date. Yeah, so see, like, that's a problem. Like, I didn't even know it dropped already. And I'm on it. Mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't, I didn't pay that close attention to it. High stakes poker has the buzz. Hopefully, like, they start to piggyback off of one another. Because I think it's important for both social media and Poker Go for people to, like, keep that buzz going more than once a week yeah i think i think it's a lot of who's on it it's the thing is like no one draws eyes like dur and ivy yeah you know it's when those people are on all eyes right it's like you just can't 
can't compete with those eyes, right? I guess there's, you know, I know I got my man Daniel in here. I don't know if he was in the mix in one of those. But like, how much are they marketing who's on it? I mean, they market when there's on. Yeah, I guess I didn't really see. I saw the trailer, but that trailer for High Stakes Poker was everybody that's on it, not just who's on the next episode. Thing is, when it comes to Dur, I think people market for them, right? Like I was on, like, oh, I'm watching because Dur's on, and sure. a lot of people were just like, like the buzz of Dur or the buzz of Ivy is just so huge. I think, but that reach is pretty negligible. I think. Damn, bro. I'm just saying you have. I just got followers. fucking wrecked. Like, <laughs> oh, nah, bro, you ain't shit. Listen. <laughs> Your reach is negligible, and whoever you, whoever retweets you, also negligible. But if I retweet, just know that you're one percent <laughs> of Negrano's following. That's why I brought my man on. Yeah, you know, he. It's all good. Oh. I don't. I don't measure my success on my followers. All right. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> this is your version. But go ahead. Go this ahead. Is your version of Goggins. Nah, do your thing. Fifteen thousand. How much you got? I don't know. Yeah. Now you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Bitch is not as much as Daniel. No, it's definitely not. Bitch is not as much as Dirt. No, probably not. Bitch is not as much as Ivy. But does Ivy have Twitter? He's so big, he's beyond Twitter. I actually believe that <laughs> to be true more so than him having a Twitter. Mm. I don't think he has Twitter. Okay, tell me. Tell, tell me your strat. Oh, I, I'm just saying that I think that like uh, that's the one thing that network TV did really well is if they're running commercials for these shows or whatever, it was very clear who was going to be on the next episode. It was very clear like what you were tuning in for. Um, I I was on two episodes of Poker After Dark. I have no idea if they've come out yet. Yeah, no, I understand. I mean, your episodes haven't come out. I watched the Poker After, uh, Poker After Dark. Uh, that episode, your episodes haven't come out yet. Does Antonio have a large following? Yeah, right. Does he have Twitter? I yeah. assume so. Yeah, he has Twitter. He's yeah. just not active as much. I, as... I can see him having like uh, a manager for his account. Like he never actually tweets. I think he just tweets every now and then, you know? Yeah. Um, man, bro, why you gotta put me down like that? I was super hyped about like, you know, not the people, you know. I, I think the people just want me to do more fucking threads. Like they just want the threads. Like like, oh, I was thinking about my ex girlfriend, and then all of a sudden my, you know, my heart rate started started going up, and then the guy looked at me, and then he thought I was nervous, so he called and then showed him the nuts. Yeah, the tap tap thread's good. I know. I think it's really good. Nice. I'm glad when you say nice things, you know. I mean, I, I compliment it where it's it's uh, proper. You know, you're good at certain things. You're very good at the tap tap. You're you're uh, hmm. the king live live pro. I'm the ultimate live pro. The ultimate live pro. That's what we want. With the ultimate day. live pro. What was your name? I don't know. Yeah, I'm the ultimate live pro. You're like the, the reg, old reg, old old timey regs. regs. Yeah, yeah. Old timey regs are dangerous, man. Mm-hmm. They're dangerous as fuck. So where 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 does it go from here? Now there's like there is a uh, I do want to like circle back around to a little bit of back of like WSOP, right? So a little bit of the controversy was surrounding their COVID policy. Yeah. Right. So the COVID policy is if you get COVID, you are disqualified from the USA final table, which well, was from both, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. But now that one's already done. So yeah. Uh, that kind of sucks. Like, imagine my man just Joseph Herbert just gets COVID, chip leader of the main event. Yeah, of course. The main event. But yes, the that sucks, man. That's a lot of equity, right? So a lot of people were saying, what if you just let him blind out, right? Definitely increases his equity in the tournament instead of going from, like, just snap getting zero. Sure. Also, what happens if two people get COVID? Sure. 
well, if two people get it, I'm sure it's going to go by chip count. But um, I, I honestly, this is much to do about nothing. Like they have two full weeks between the end of making the final table and actually playing it out. It's plenty of time to quarantine yourself and ensure that you don't fucking get COVID. You're playing for 1.5 million. Like be yeah. responsible. Um, not trying to, you know, put all of the responsibility on the players themselves, but like, you know, this this isn't a very high risk thing. I think the likelihood of somebody getting COVID is like less than 10%. Um, that said, yeah, I do agree that like binding them out is probably more fair. Somebody tweeted earlier in the week talking about the WPT final tables where um, I think it was maybe the Gardens final table. They were they were considering running it like early in December and all the final tablists didn't feel comfortable. So they ended up not doing it. But in the talks of potentially running it, everybody came to an agreement that if for some reason they agreed to run it and somebody got COVID, they would give them their ICM uh, worth. That's so cool. effectively, like that person will have initiated a chop. Now, I don't know how that would work because the second one person gets ICM for their stack, uh, everybody else kind of has to, in some way, shape, or form, also be compensated for ICM. Like it would be very fair to give like the person third in chips their ICM cut and then make the other five play it out, I don't think. Um, yeah, it seems a little unfair, but it's also just like weird circumstances, right? Yeah, but you're pulling like, you know, third and a half place money out of the prize mm -hmm. pool now. So like he's guaranteeing himself a pretty big ladder without ever having to show up. It's almost beneficial to get COVID if that's the case, especially if you're a chip leader. You just yeah. have to get an ICM chop, right, without any effort. I don't know if people are Maybe not as a chip leader, but like if you're if you're like uh one of those stats say say there's say a massive like, chip leader. Yeah, say you're like and you're sixth like, or something like maybe, but like, you know, a lot of times it's almost better for the sixth place player to just gamble. But like say that you're like third in chips, but the chip leader is like massive. So like maybe three X you. It's pretty beneficial to just like get a chop in that spot. Um you know, Guys, you nobody nobody happen. nobody like clip this and like, you know, like cancel Berkey because he's telling people to get COVID for the chop. Like that's I, what you took out of this? Nah, not me. I'm just I I you know, I'm everywhere and nowhere at the same time, you know? Like, okay. I I could see people like, oh, Berkey doesn't give a fuck about COVID, telling people to just get COVID to get the chop, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, all I'm saying is that there I'm are just trying to protect that you, people man. will take advantage of. I'm just trying to protect you, man. I know how social media is. I know the cancel culture, you know, the deep state, all that shit. This shit comes back to haunt you, bro. Sure. They'll get you. I, think, I, I already know. I think some of your wits may have gone with your hair. <laughs> nah, I mean, don't be again. Now he's trying to put me down again. You see, you see what I deal with people like, like that's already two shots. You haven't even started the interview. What? How, how, 20 minutes. It's like one every 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We got Dan and Negreanu up in the mix. Mm -hmm. I've been watching every single one of his matches against Doug Polk, right? I, I've watched his post game interviews. He, he could go, you know, I have, we have questions prepared. But I don't know where this interview is going to go. We could we could just be lit the whole time. Yeah, of course. I don't have the Trulies on. I'm kind of like trying to, you know, take care of my, myself a little bit. But if he gets lit, I might just bring the Truly on. I don't know. I might just go. Like, it might just be like, all right, Daniel, let's just let's do it. Like, get lit. Sure, sure. I don't know, man. I, uh, I'm excited. All right, Daniel. You're, you're live on the Solve for Why podcast. This is an an honorary moment for me like this is this is crazy like you were the first book i ever i ever read i, I tell that story all the time actually all right i'm pretty sure the word you used is honorary which yeah. isn't the same as honorary 
And I don't think Henri's a good one. We should look that one up. I, I think, honestly, he just made up a word between honorary <laughs> and ornery. So uh, yeah. he might be somewhere between humbled and jumping out of his seat. All right, listen, man. I'm just. Shot I'm just, number three coming at you. You see, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's. The, I got it, man. It's all good. No one's bringing me down today. It's all good. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Like, let's go. We had this whole backstory, like, planned up where we were going to, we were going to, like, flesh out the beef, how you guys got to this point. We just skipped right over that. We're here. We're here now. We're, we're off the cuff. I mean, yeah, but we could do it with you, right? I mean, we, we it could be like a whole thing. Like, um, but yeah, it's an honor to have you. D-Nags, of course. Uh, yeah, man, there's, there's just a lot to talk about. So let's let's kind of like kind of start a little bit of how this whole like beef with you and, and, and Doug Polk even started. So I think it began a little bit with like the Supernova stuff that, that happened. And then there was like a, a lot of riot between that. And then, you know, the whole more rake is better type of thing. Like, how did you feel when, when, when all that stuff was going down? So it's interesting because I think if you ask him when it started and when, it, when you ask me how it started, we're probably going to have like a different memory set in terms of like how it did. But I think I heard him say, and this makes sense actually, because it precedes where I thought, was I think I made a comment, uh, I think it was like 2011 or so, I grinded really hard, learned online from the late, great Rich Lindaker who passed away last year, sadly, and Tom Marchese. Um, I was playing 100, 200 on stars, no limit hold'em, Okay. And the first month, there was a full game with a long-ass list, like 50 deep, right? By the end of the month, I was playing three, four-handed. Nobody else wanted to play because I'd learned really, really quickly how to adapt. Obviously, going in, I mean, I'm the fish, right? And then after about a – really quickly, after about a month, I was able to do well, you know, playing against only the best players and all the mediocre regs were just – I'm out. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, well – you know, someone said to me, you know, do you think you could be 2550 online? And this is a couple of years later, maybe three years later, two, three years later. And I said, I think with a couple of weeks of study, probably two weeks of study, I could I could probably, you know, win in that game. I believe that I can. Right. right. I wasn't saying for a fact that I can, but I believe that if I work hard on two weeks um, with my knowledge base that I would I would succeed. He took offense to that. He thought I was sort of uh, slighting online players, which isn't the case. I have the utmost respect for these guys. I mean, when you think about it, first and foremost, I had two guys helping me that were online guys to teach me. So I've always been open to learning. So it was less a case of me slamming online pros who have worked really hard, especially with solvers and all that, to improve the game, and more a question of like, I'm super confident in me, in that I can learn the stuff they learn and, and then, you know, um, em implement it in my game and be able to be successful. So that's when he, he first took offense, I think, and, you know, made a splash with that. And then, of course, it morphed into many other things. And my beefs with him in the beginning really stemmed from irresponsible clickbait type titles. Well, the first one for me was when he said it, the title of the thing said Jason Mercer cheating allegations. Right? right. And when, you know, in our day in our society now, you see that you think, what the hell did Jason do? Right. Of course. He's being accused of cheating. That was not what the video was about. It wasn't Jason being accused of cheating. It was nothing remotely close to that. But using that title... And you know how the world works now, you know, that sticks. And all of a sudden you're just, you're basically besmirching a guy for nothing. So I took offense to that and I said, so for me, it felt like it started when someone asked me like, who are some of the young guys in the game that I should follow and learn from? And I mentioned Jason Merce. I just, I mentioned Jason Somerville, Jonathan Little, uh, maybe Alec Torelli. I don't know, but I didn't mention him because I didn't like his approach, you know, with the attack mode stuff. Word. And he took that as a personal slight and that evolved into the whole, you know, four or five year attack 
on basically doing everything you can to personally attack me. Um, and it all, you know, basically all died off until recently. And we're just like, we revitalized the, uh, you know, the dispute. I, I have to say personally, uh, this is a little selfish of me, but I hate that you took on this challenge. Um, it was a nice quiet 12 months of Doug off into the sunset, retired. Um, you know, I think to some degree, all of us have, have kind of, uh, or all of us in this room have kind of felt the ire of Polk's uh, YouTube presence. And I've said this a million times. I think that like he's a fantastic businessman when it comes to increasing his bottom line. But like our vision of business ethics just like greatly diverge. And uh, you re-sparking or rekindling his platform has not been enjoyable to me. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that, Berkey, and I can understand <laughs> why. And I think a lot of people echo the similar sentiment, you know, and they're like, oh my God, isn't this shit over yet? Can't he just like move on or whatever? But, you know, I was in a different place. I This was the first time he'd actually ever challenged me, you know, and he actually said later, he's like, he just threw it out there. I'll play a heads up in my favorite format and da da da. And I was like, there never in a million years did he expect me to say yes, because it seems pretty stupid for someone to do that. But I did. And he was like, oh shit, bluff called. So now I actually have to, you know, go through. They can't throw the challenge out and then not do it. And I thought, it's a COVID year. I'm locked down. Might as well study, learn how to play. I can afford to play at the stakes we're playing. Um, and I felt like uh, it was a good motivator to really sort of work hard at once. Because every two to three years, I always get back into the lab or have throughout my career and just realize, like, all right, how far behind the curve am I right now? All right. Let's put in the work. Let's get back to where we feel like we're slightly in front of the curve. So this was a good time to do that. And the progression in my game in a very short time has been good, like really good. I think I feel like I remember the first week when I started playing heads up and I literally had no shot playing against like 10 cent, 20 cent dudes. They'd crush me. They were crushing me. I couldn't, I wouldn't, I didn't win any sessions I lost every single time, you know? Um, but then slowly but surely it all starts to come together and I'm building out a game that I think is uh, pretty darn good. Let me ask you something, Daniel, because one of the things that I was thinking when you decided to take on this challenge was if there was a little bit of you that thought, you know, if I win this challenge, which is, you know, it's monumental uh, feat, maybe you took it on because potentially if you do this, you go down as the best of all time. Is that, was that a little bit of, of it or no? I wouldn't say best of all time, but I would say that, you know, sitting similar sentiment really didn't have much to lose other than money. Right. Mm -hmm. Like going into this, like he's like a five, six to one favorite. Right. Sure. So from that perspective, if I lose, well, that was the expected result. Right. Most, you know, that's the betting line and whatever. If I can make it competitive, which I believe that I have, or if I can actually win the match, you know, that would be difficult. I, that would be far more difficult for him to swallow than me. Right. So for him, what's in it is he, you know, has plus EV as far as he's concerned that he's going to make some money out of it. But if you look at it from a perspective of like whatever you want to call it image or brand or whatever, it's like, he really has all, you know, he's the one that comes in with everything to lose is being, you know, you know, arguably the best heads up player at a time. And then losing to, I mean, if you lose to a 46 year old, you know, kid who played small ball and raises to find out where he's at, you know, that's kind of, that would be, that would be kind of hard to swallow. But what I've learned after playing 10,000 hands is that, uh, I thought that was a lot of hands and it's not, um, mm. 25,000 hands sounded like a lot, but it's really not, you know, so I'm realizing that two players that are relatively close in skill, if they are, 
uh, a 25,000 hand match is going to be decided first and foremost by luck, which is crazy, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just not as big a sample size as I, as I originally thought. I thought it was plenty of hands, you know, but I, I now, now seeing what's happened in the first 10,000 being like, for example, like, you know, nine and a half buy-ins below all in EV, it's like $400,000, right. right? Like of just coin flips that, or just, of just something that where I'm supposed to break even on in the long run, that's 400 K head start. That's a lot over 11,000 hands, you know? So I guess to that end, uh, I have a couple follow-up questions. Uh, first and foremost, does that mean that uh, you're going to try to extend this match beyond 25,000? And secondarily, is there any scenario by which you would quit at 12.5K? Yes, to all of that. I mean, there is. So here's first and foremost, my decision to play past 12,500 hands is 100% dependent upon whether I think this match can be competitive, right? If I feel like he's beating me for like, 10 big blinds per 100 or anything like that, then no. But when I break down the numbers of the match, right, you can't count all in EV as beating somebody or losing. That's just luck, right? That's So that's you cut that out, right? So, so far in this match through 10,000 hands or so, he's been beating me for 10 big blinds per 100. I would openly wager, anybody who wants to take me up on this, it's an open wager that I've lost at least, at least at a three-to-one clip with natural two-pair or better coolers. Right. So where I have kings and fives, he has kings and sevens or I have a straight, he has a flush, et cetera, et cetera. If I have a set, he has a set. So if you factor all that in, you know, it's hard to quantify exactly how much that's worth. But I would imagine it's in like the 10 buy in range, you know, pretty close. So I'm not here suggesting that, uh, you know, like I'm a favorite, but I definitely feel strongly about the way that the game has progressed and my progression in it. And I definitely feel like from a playing perspective, the match is very, very close. I think when from the from the naked eyeball, right? Especially if you have commentators that are very biased. When you watch the match, you see Doug pounding me, right? Man, over bets, bombs, boom, all these things, and mm-hmm. me folding a lot, right? Which is what you do when someone bets big. The extreme example of that would be like if somebody went all in every hand and you can only call, right? Like they're gonna win almost every hand, <laughs> right? But they're right. not gonna win money necessarily. So, you know, that's that's a red line conversation of like how important that is, winning hands you know, without a showdown. So when you watch it, the naked eye might think, man, he's getting destroyed, but they miss a few things, right? They miss a few things. They're like, okay, well, maybe there's some lost value sometimes when he bets big and gets a fold, but would have, you know, gotten called for something like half pot or three quarter pot. So it's not as simple as, and one commentator in specific, this people tell me, because I don't really listen. He's like, when Doug bets big on the river and I fold the commentators, and you don't see the cards, the commentator's like, Man, another sick bluff from Doug. It's amazing how he's just running over him with these, like, nothing hands, right? Ten minutes later, I make a big bet on the river. Doug tanks and Doug folds. And it's, wow, you know, Daniel's just not getting value for his hands in these spots. And Doug's making big laydowns. And I'm like, you fucking genius, right? You don't even see what the fucking cards were. But, of course, he made an amazing bluff, right? And I was like, you know, I had it. It's like so stupid, but it's been fun to sort of listen and hear people's perception of what's happening in the match and knowing like there's very few people, myself and him and, you know, my team and his or whatever that are seeing whole cards to actually know what actually is. But like I said, I'll put my money where my mouth is. If anybody wants to bet me as much as you'd like, I'll bet three to one ratio of two natural pair or better losing by the river. And this, this includes, it would, it would require some cooperation on his side, uh, it, it includes hands that maybe were laydowns. If he's folding two pair every time, you can count all those two. Word. I, I think there was a couple of those. I mean, I'm not trying to kill your action, but obviously the 
the ace queen, ace of hearts, ace king, ace of spade hand, the king seven, all these all these kind of hands were like really big hands. You know, there is a little bit of bias towards uh, the commentary. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm biased, but I'm biased towards your side. So, you know, I'm, but I'm sure that the other, the other com commentaries are biased. How about the Garrett uh, tweet? There was a little bit of a, uh, you might take on Garrett. That would be fun to watch. Yeah. It'd be fun to I watch, know, especially fun. especially if it was live. That'd be that'd be that'd yeah. be a sick one. Yeah, the only problem with like, so here's the thing: if you're gonna do a live match, right? Which I would have done. I would have done this with Doug as well. If you're gonna do a live match, doing a live twenty five thousand hand cash game match is silly. Right. You know, you're gonna be spending four years on this. You know, like a full time <laughs> job. No, because online you can play a lot more hands. So if you were gonna play a format heads up, I think that you know Poker Go has a really good one with the high stakes or the heads up duel or whatever it is. Right, that would be a great format where we can just play like sort of a five-hour kind of freeze out, which adds a little different element because it adds a little bit of the tournament sit-and-go aspect to it. But as long as you have enough deep play, I think it's still interesting to watch for viewers and stuff. But um, obviously, I'm not gonna do a 25,000 hand live match with anybody because right. that's that doesn't seem fun at all. But I think a hybrid is good. Like obviously, I, if I if it wasn't for COVID and all that, and I could play weekly against Doug live, I think that really benefits me significantly. Right. But obvious for a lot of reasons, but, um, you know, because of COVID, he doesn't want to go down there. I don't want to go down there. You know, vaccines almost here. So who knows, maybe after all that, we might play some live. So I guess to that end a little bit, uh, let's, I mean, I feel like I'm deviating a little bit because I do want to talk a little bit about your prep, uh, at some point, but, uh, this seems relevant to, to what you kind of just brought up. So with all the preparation that you've put into this and the amount of volume of hands that you're going to be putting in, what does this like look like then for your career hereafter? Uh, I know you kind of mentioned in the past that you've kind of gotten in the lab, proved to yourself that you could beat certain things. Um, obviously, this has to be the best poker version of yourself that you've been. So are we going to start to see you maybe chase number one on the, uh, the, the tournament career earnings again? Or are we going to see you get back into cash? maybe playing online again? Uh, I mean, like, where do you go to from here, I guess? You know, it's a great question, and you, you hit the nail on the head with a lot of things. Like, I played the main event, the World Series main event, which you mentioned I folded jacks against Pesh, and I didn't know it was him. Like, <laughs> sure. if I knew it was Pesh, yeah. my money would have been in the middle. But uh, just, just to illustrate the hand of the World Series, people know I raised under the gun, under the gun plus one jammed for basically pretty close to my stack, and then Pesh in the big line moves all in, and I'm sitting there with jacks. I just folded jacks a minute ago, and ran into it would have been ace king queens i would have lost this one i would have won because i folded he had nines i he flopped the nine and then i would have ripped the straight but anyway that's neither here nor there as far as playing in it in a ring game i felt so dominant frankly because it's so much easier to play nine-handed than it is heads up and the reason i say that is first of all you don't have to play every hand you don't have to play queen six offsuit 100 percent of the time like you can right. fold a lot and you can you can pick up on similar uh, – I have to be careful the way I say that. Um, I think just in general, if you become really, really good at heads up, the transition to playing ring game tournaments or live is easier as long as you can have that gear of patience because the danger is you play heads up, you never fold queen six offsuit. Like what do you do with jack seven suited? Like, you know, you're, that's like, ooh, baby, how many bets can I get in heads this, up? This is the problem I have whenever I play live poker. Those hands look good. Yeah, this has been a problem you've had ever since I remember you starting to play <laughs> sure, poker. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm built for the heads up arena for sure. So I, I guess, like, is there any chance that you'll pursue number one uh, career earnings again? Well, you know, when the world opens back up, 
Um, it's something that I sort of gave up on when they started having like all these Triton events and these million dollar buy-ins and I wasn't going to travel the word for them, but, and it, and I'm pretty far behind. I'm still going to play in these things, but I don't know about chasing. Like I don't really want to travel. I enjoy being home. Like the last year has been great. You know, me and my wife gotten even closer, just the two of us here at the house and, um, you know, traveling and up, you know, upstarting my schedule and doing different things. is not high on my priority list. The world series of poker is, I'll always continue to chase that. But as far as like, I know I'm probably I'm really enjoying heads up poker, so I could see myself doing this for a while. Like after this match is over, I'm it's, it, there's a decent chance that win or lose this match that I would ex- I would accept or offer a rematch because I, I've, I've I've enjoyed it I've had fun with it um, I think overall it's quote unquote good for poker because it's you know a lot, there's a whole, all these different streams you guys do a stream and do you know commentary they've got one. GG Poker's got one, so there's been a lot of buzz and a lot of uh, a lot to follow with it, and uh, I don't know. I think that's been interesting, much like, and I was listening to you guys talk about this, High Stakes Poker being back, and them doing weekly episodes to recreate the magic, mm-hmm. right? You know, he talked about old school TV, Christian said. I'm like, old school? My God, how fucking young are you, right? <laughs> TV, it's regular TV. Bro, like, I was watching, I, I legit was watching you, like, 2 a.m. NBC. Like, I was just, I would tune in and just, yeah. and just like, watch. Well, that's the thing, right? So the goal, I think, with High Stakes Poker and keeping it weekly is you want, the cool, you know, the, the, what do you call it? The water cooler talk, right? After mm. the, the night of the session, the next day, like, oh, my God, did you see Dur last night? laying down the pocket sevens and this guy, this pitcher dude. And we have a whole week to anticipate. Yeah. So I think, you know, I get like, I'm like Berkey. I like to digest shows all in one sitting too. But I think for something like this, I think it being episodic and I think it being edited much like poker after dark should be, it's really, really good for poker. Um, and you know, people want their live fix of no hole cards heads up. I think the heads up match would be a lot more interesting to people if you could see hole cards, but for obvious reasons, right. that's like, that's a little much that just creates a whole new level of dissection in terms of I mean, tendencies I, that... I think it'd be pretty cool if some media outlet was able to get the whole cards at the end of the week and put together like a best of or a highlight reel or something like yeah. that. But, you know, that takes a lot of... Obviously, it's difficult already with WSOP because they don't have hand histories, but then it also takes a lot well, of Well, I've actually been doing that after every session. I've been putting together all the hands that went to showdown. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not all the hands, but it's, you know, all the main ones. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of room to grow here. And I, I do think that you made a very good point there, uh, which, um, you know, the community wide, I think kind of owes both you and Doug a thank you and Phil and chance and everybody else who's like willing to get out there, stick their neck on the line, play super high stakes for the community to kind of like enjoy and, uh, pick apart. And, you know, like, like you said, everybody's a critic. Everybody has the answers. Everyone's an armchair quarterback, but the important thing is that everybody's talking about it. Uh, so I do find these matches to be very fascinating. I hope that the media side of things can evolve and I don't know what that takes. I know on the chance side, they or uh, on the Phil Gelfon side, they've been doing a great job just because everybody's pretty cooperative. So, uh, Moonlight Master does put together like these 20 minute highlight reels where there are whole cards revealed and, you know, we kind of get a lot more information of what's going on in the match. Now with you guys, you're a lot more protective of that information, understandably so, um, it's it's a massive match for a lot of money where you're kind of being booked as a huge dog. So uh, I think that there's a process there that can evolve and it seems like you're at the forefront. Do you think that this will be something that ever involves like Poker Go on a grander scale or uh, a platform of that nature? Well, yeah. I mean, listen, if it wasn't for COVID, I could have foreseen like the Friday match happening live every week, mm-hmm. you know? 
and, and doing that portion live. Like I saw, I agreed to maybe roughly like 10 to 20% of hands being shown. You know, yeah. I don't want to show them all because I feel like, you know, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes that are non GTO mm-hmm. that, you know, once you, if you see the patterns of those mistakes, you know, you know, smart people can dissect that and, you know, exploit me for the mistakes that I'm making. So, um, I mean, and vice versa, of course, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like at this point, I think obviously because of the COVID thing, you know, it, it's put a lot of, you know, issues or a lot of like b- barriers to that plan. But, um, I think the, yeah, I like post when this is all over, like I would speak to him and I've spoken to him privately about maybe we could, you know, share hands and make some really cool content where people can actually see some of the bigger spots where, you know, maybe he made a big lay down or may, I made a bad fold or whatever the case may be. Um, see how I worded that it's just hmm. in case the commentators listening. Sure. <laughs> how about talk to us a little bit about the prep, right? So you were playing WSOP during the summer and then you booked this match. You didn't have a lot of time. So how did that like walk us through? Okay. You booked the match. You're still playing WSOP GG. And then what happened after that? Cause it was only like a month. Yeah, that was definitely the most challenging thing, right? So I'm playing World Series of Poker, which is not good training for heads up, no limit, hold them to tabling online. It's just not. So I was not, I mean, I was consumed there. I was streaming. I was in Cabo doing my thing. So after that, I took a week or so to breathe after the World Series of Poker. And then I got starting to work with my guys and like, you know, practicing, doing sessions, you know, playing against them, um, constantly basically what the way in which the process worked was like take everything i've known about poker for 20 years right and strip me of all of it so imagine like taking a soldier and stripping him of all of his weapons so he's completely naked can't even punch can't even kick and they're like all right we're gonna release your arm and now you can start throwing a jab okay i want you to master that almost like karate kid style wax on wax off so get this mastered right and you're like okay i got this but i can't win like this like that's all right you got it mastered good all right now we're gonna add a right cross Okay, so you got a jab and a right cross. Okay, still can't win, right? Then you got a kick. And eventually, you know, because here's the problem. If you try to overload somebody by giving them so much information and say, do all this, they're going to screw it up, which is part of the reason I started the set. I started the the match with two sizes, right? I'm using a 20 and a 75. That's not that's not optimal. Like you're giving away EV when you do that, because there's a lot of spots that require different sizes. The problem is. If you're not good at balancing them and you're not good at, you know, executing, you're actually costing yourself more by using multiple sizes. So I started with a 2075, added like a 40, you know, added like a few others here and there for specific spots, some overbetting as well, of course, which is obviously important. But basically, it's like building out a car from the frame with no engine and you start to put it together. And right now I feel like, uh, you know, if I would have started the match today rather than when i did then i'd be obviously a lot more prepared um you know and uh, but that's not that's not an excuse it's just a fact i you know i took it on and i'm happy that i did and either way there's going to be a learning curve and i imagine you know five thousand hands from now i'm going to continue to add weapons to the arsenal yeah i i think that uh you touched on a few things that i personally was slightly critical of uh whenever we were doing commentary and it wasn't because i thought that like you or the team were making errors. It was more like I was recognizing the process that you were going through and I couldn't help but notice like what it was costing you. So the big thing is when you only are limited to a couple sizes, it's not so much that you're giving up EV, assuming that you're balanced in those sizes. It's more so that his counter strategy becomes a lot easier. So for Doug, when he's studying, 
he only has to put in a couple nodes uh, or, or a couple betting options for you. And now he gets to perfect his counter strategy like pretty easily. Um, what I what I personally observed was a lot of similar to like what you were referring to with this commentator who was saying like, you're always getting bluffed on the river and you always have it when you don't. It was more so just that like, uh, kind of what you referenced earlier is that Doug's red line is significantly higher than yours. Is that something that you guys have put any emphasis on uh, since then, um, like, are you trying to increase your red line or is it more so that uh, you're working on the earlier nodes in the game tree, such as like pre-flop on the flop in order to avoid like these difficult river decisions? To be honest, so I know that obviously like maybe there was a time in poker and I think Doug mentioned this one in, during his training, you know, where you could just redline people mm -hmm. and you just win the money, right? Because yeah. you just redline people to death. It's not the way poker really works anymore, right? It just doesn't, right? Like I said, you know, with that extreme example, the guy who goes all in every hand wins the red line every time. Mm -hmm. but he's not going to win money because he's doing it, you know, too much, right? There are certain spots where, you know, a solver will not support an overbet. And if you continue to do it in those spots, well, you're, you know, you might win a red line, but that's not what the, that's not how you keep score. The red line isn't how you keep score. I essentially, obviously, for the most part, concede the red line here because, you know, it have to with the sizings that I'm choosing. Because bottom line is, from a theory standpoint, when somebody bets 20% of pot, you should call more often. When someone bets four times the pot, you should fold way more often, right? So by that alone, if someone's only using 20 and 75 and other person's using sizes that are much bigger, they, are, they, win, the, they win the red line already based on that. Now, that doesn't mean, say, for example, if I was able to execute perfectly a 20 and a 75 at a GTO clip, let's say I was perfect, which I'm not and no human could be, that would win. It would win alone. It would be giving up EV and it would be do, it would do better if it had multiple sizes. But if you played the perfect GTO strategy and you had 20 and 75, you could theoretically win if you did it perfectly and your opponent is using multiple sizes, but doing them incorrectly. Like if he was overbetting over incorrectly and I was and I and I wasn't making these mistakes, that would overcome uh, you know, the the loss of not having multiple sizes. Well, I, I do want to press on that a little bit. Um, you're kind of telling one side of the coin. You would be you would perform well through your your bet sizings, but your counter strategy to his bet sizings would potentially be flawed and cost you money and vice versa. His counter strategy to your two simple sizes would be a lot easier for him to get as close to GTO as possible. So like, it's no, what I'm saying is if you had a bot, like actually, let's say a real bot, yeah, yeah. Play a real bot and yep. you only use a 2075 and he, the bot would win. Well, it would, it, win. It, would, it would win when it's betting. But it still has to have a counter strategy, right? Well, I mean, it's going to play perfectly. Yeah, yeah. So, so yes, that's the added layer is that you're also responding perfectly to whatever strategy your well, opponent I mean, is is conveying. Right. Um, which, yeah. What which, if, yeah. Basically, the theory is this: if a bot only used bet size of twenty and seventy five, but played a perfect strategy against yes, yes, your yes. opponent's bets, yeah, that player wins. That the bot wins all. all yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that the counter strategy point is is a really important one because that's why the the desire for nuance exists that's why there's so much ev to earn is because you and doug are both flawed you're humans right you're both making a ton of mistakes and the more confusing yes. that you can be to one another the more that that ev exchange will favor the person who's executing uh more critically so i, I definitely understand like where you're coming from from the red line standpoint and it, it does make a lot of sense uh i'm pumped to see like i enjoy watching the evolution because i don't i'm not seeing that really on doug's side right like I just know that he's a good studied player and he's just there and he's executing and he's probably pretty unwavering in his strategy. But like session to session, week to week, I'm seeing like, oh, that's a new size. 
oh, that's an overbet in a spot where Daniel hasn't done that before. So like I'm seeing you curate this information in real time. And I guess like uh, I kind of asked this before, but you jokingly said you wanted to play 100,000 hands. Is that something you would entertain? Yeah, maybe. Sure. Why not? I mean, like I feel good about where my game has progressed. And, you know, you touched on the evolution thing. It's like it's funny because like what I like to do is I stick to heuristics when I have them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm if I'm using heuristics that I know that I've studied and I'm going to use them. I use them. My poker brain, of course, is like, man, though, shit, I just want to overbet here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I just want to check this hand. You know what I mean? I just so, want to bet to find out where he's at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just want to bet and find out where he's at. How do I find out where he's at if I don't bet? No, but there are spots where my poker brains, I, like I intuitively know from studying myself where I'm like, all right, so I'm betting 75% pot here. But I think another bet size might have been better here, whether it was smaller, whether it was bigger. Mm -hmm. But I'm stuck, you know, or at least I was with the 20 and 75 to pretty much sticking with one size so but but the good news is is that you know when i do you know execute the new sizes that i that i add like i feel very good about them and if they feel like it feels a, like a relief because it's it was really actually difficult to have such a big gap between 20 and 75 and not have anything in the middle mm -hmm. like there's just so many spots that come up where like a 33 or a 40 seem like or even a half pot you know seem really really good um so you know, continually adding those as we progress, but doing it correctly, right? Not just being like, yeah, I got all these new sizes, bah, 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 3X pot, 2X pot. I'm like, but am I doing it right? You know, and then that's important. Like, am I doing them at the right frequencies, on the right board textures, um, you know, with the right hand classes? All that stuff comes into play. So there's another match coming up that I'm curious how excited you are to see, and that is the... MJ versus Limitless match. Uh, mm -hmm. How excited are you to see that match? And then I also saw on Twitter potentially that MJ would play Garrett if you don't play him. What are your thoughts on both those things? Well, that's going to be certainly fun to watch. You know, a couple high-level guys with different, you know, approaches to the game. Um, potentially, I don't even, maybe, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, I think for poker fans, I think sort of like this year, like heads up poker is kind of like in, you know, it's the cool thing to do, like make these challenges and have everybody like pick a side. And there's been a ton of money wagered, for example, on mine. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine seeing two guys who have been at it for a lot longer than certainly I have would create a different dynamic. Like I've seen some of the hand history sometimes at Patrick Leonard posts from like Barry Sweets playing against Linus Love. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? like, what the hell? And I saw Doug actually tweet. He's like, there's exactly zero out of two people that would be making any of these plays in our match. Like there's spots where these guys are like five betting turn and, you know, calling river with eight high. I mean, there's, they're going next level crazy. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it'll be interesting for people to see, uh, you know, guys like that. You know, I don't know how many people don't necessarily in, in the mainstream don't know these guys as well. Right. But I think they'd be quickly learned to sort of have a favorite one way or the other. And, um, the more that stuff happens, I think, uh, you know, I think I think it's good because I've always believed like poker isn't poker isn't this professional soft spoken everybody's playing golf. It's a fucking gambling <laughs> game where people fucking hate each other and you want to fucking rip the guy's head off and smack him and talk some smash and fucking have an avatar that dances like mine when you play on GG Poker and <laughs> give you the screw you. I mean, poker's like it's raw. It's not knitting, you know, and a little bit of blood. You know, it's it's. I think it gets everyone's juices flowing. So tell us how you feel about Doug Polk, obviously. I mean, after that one. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you know, I think our the relationship between Doug and I has evolved 
to to a significant place where I think the animosity is subsided for the most part, right? Because we've we've somewhat we've had a chance to talk about some of the things from the past or whatever, and you know, so uh, we're at a civil place right now, and I don't see you know he may take offense. I would imagine to me suggesting that he's been lucky so far, yeah. <laughs> except right. like I can I can essentially prove it. You know, yeah, all yeah, any of these is. You know, all EV is like represents half of the, the deficit right now. And the other half, as I said, I'd be willing to put my money where my mouth is and lay three to one on, you know, significant coolers. Like there's been you mentioned King Seven against King Five. There was specific there was two hands where that came. Yeah, I remember. Where I got stacked where he made kings and sevens versus my kings and fives. Like it's happened twice, you know. Not that, you know, that's the only ones. Obviously I've coolered him here and there. But um but overall it's a it's a match of two players that are playing kind of, you know, differently, obviously, because he's using different sizes and going with a little bit of a different approach than I am. But I think it's a closer match and maybe he would take offense to that. Maybe that will restart the feud because he'd be like, this idiot thinks that he could, because I saw him and I was really surprised that he said this. Well, I think maybe he was not really thinking about it clearly, but he was asked like, how much is he, does he think he should be beating me for? And he said between 10 to 15 big blinds per hundred. Okay. Right. And at the time he's up 20, but that includes 10, which is from all in EV. Right. So, if you break it down, he's been he's been beating me for ten so far. If he thinks he should be winning between ten to fifteen, well, that would suggest that he doesn't think he's been lucky so far. And I challenge that one. Like that one's kind of like that would be an absurdly, I mean, for lack of a better term, delusional take that you know to, to think that he's you know had the unlucky side of the first ten thousand hands. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe me saying that probably he doesn't he doesn't want to talk about luck and variance, and I understand why because it's you know been a big topic because it's been so one-sided like the odds i think if you run it i don't know how what the odds are but there it's got to be like one percent of running after ten thousand hands nine and a half buy-ins above all in ev nine and a half buy-ins that's like three times beating pair over pair a whole bunch of other times and literally never once never once through ten thousand hands having your opponent win a chip when they were behind like i've yet to yeah, in every yeah. all-in one time have the worst hand Worst hand when we get it in and won. That's that's astronomical. Like that's not and also, you know, you have to you have to think about too, when this stuff happens, right? The mental toll it takes. Like he was, you know, joking about it. There was a you mentioned I had ace queen of hearts against king ten of hearts, the board comes queen, queen, five, jack of hearts on the turn. I got the ace, I lose that pot, right? Mm-hmm. I take a breather, I go, okay, go to the bathroom, just bring it together, whatever, click back in, get two aces. Yes, he gets it in with kings, baby doll. Right. So I got aces against Kings spanks a King right on the flop. I lose that one. So it's like, that's not easy. You know, I'm human. So, you know, if those hands, for example, were going, you know, my way, you you never know how much that can affect sort of other hands. We both try and I don't think he tilts. I don't really think I tilt. I think I stick to what I'm doing, but takes an emotional toll, you know, going through stretches where you just like, are wondering whether or not shit's going on, you know? Like, what the hell is this? I'm I'm as close to an even kill robot as I think you're going to find when it comes to emotions. And I said after the aces versus kings hand that if I plan to continuing, if I plan to continue through the match that particular day, I would have texted Doug and said I need thirty. I would have taken a cold shower. I would have taken a walk. I might have tried to take a nap. Something, something to like reset the desire to give into the thought that the world's conspiring against me. Because like that, you can't script that shit. Uh, when it happened, it was just like one of those things where it's like, man, if it's not bad enough to be the betting dog, 
but to like then have to overcome this type of stuff, it's really, really challenging as a human to like find your path forward here. Yeah, that session was probably the proudest I've been of myself to be able to just take a minute or whatever. Then that happened. And like I played for another three, four hours and I sort of I, I you know, I cut into the deficit. But the deficit is obviously really small. Like, you know, I mean, the, the deficit was actually quite big after those hands. Like there's not much I can do about it. I'm going to always play aces against kings and I'm always going to play ace queen on queen queen you know, six, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, just brain dead coolers. Um, but I really was very proud of how I was able to just push through and play um, after that because I don't know that, uh, you know, I agree with you. It probably makes sense, like, when those st- types of things happen to just press the eject button. But I felt really good. Like, I felt like I was in a good mental space and I felt like I was playing well and I felt like things were going well, not, they were not going well, that's for sure. But I'm like, let's do this, man. You know, let's just go. I'm going to I'm gonna have to deal with adversity. And I'm hoping that the second half of the match that he has to deal with some of the adversity that I've certainly had to deal with so far, which is maybe losing one pot where, you know, he has jacks and I have tens. Like sure. maybe, I don't know, all in pre. <laughs> so you've added, you've added layers to your game. Oh. Talk to me a little bit about the difficult, like where were some difficult times that you had? Like, okay, you've added layers to the game. Clearly I've been impressed. I think a lot of people have been impressed, but what were some of the hurdles in terms of adding those things? Well, you know, I'm going to, the adding part, I think first and foremost, when I started from nothing, right. And it's like, just do this. I'm like, well, this sucks. This isn't enough to win. Like I was explaining before. I'm like, I can't win like this. This is stupid. Mm -hmm. And you're like, relax. It's just like the Miyagi thing, right? You know, Daniel San, he went to Mr. Miyagi to learn how to fight karate and they freaking tell him to wax freaking cars they tell him to paint the fence they tell him to freaking send the floor you know and he's like what the what's this stupid shit right so why well, that's what i was doing wax off wax on all this stuff i'm like this sucks i can't win then we put it all together and you know they surf i'm like wait a minute wow through osmosis that stuff sunk in now so there's certain things that i'm what we call it stage fouring where i don't have to think about it just i got it i know what to do here and uh you know the more you can do that once you've built that foundation you can expand. But the hardest part was probably struggling. Like I said, I was playing 10 cent, 20 cent. I couldn't beat nobody. I'm not talking like lose some of the sessions. I lost every time. These guys, I was the biggest fish. They were so happy I came in losing my 50 bucks every time. It was crazy, you know. But the other part that I guess, you know, was something that I needed to work through is obviously, and I, you know, I knew this was coming. But, um, you know, dealing with some of the lines that Doug takes sometimes you have to have some patience and discipline in some spots because, you know, sometimes you have a very good hand, right? And your opponent bets four times the size of the pot. Right. Okay. So you have a very good hand and you want, you would certainly call pot. You'd certainly call three quarters, but like you can't theoretically just go ah Fuck it, man. I'm not folding this hand. You know what I mean? You have to learn and study, you know, what the line is between overcalling, undercalling, make sure you're calling with the correct range of hands, and that's where it gets difficult. And I explained this to uh, my wife, I think, the other day, where I'm like, okay, so in this spot, you would call with a pair of fours with an ace kicker, but you would fold a pair of kings with a queen kicker. And she's like, that doesn't make any sense, right? A pair of kings is way better. Like, kings is way better than a four. Why would you call with a four and fold a king? And that's a very difficult concept. For people to grasp, and obviously you guys understand, it's related to blockers, right? Right. Where if you have a bluff catcher, where you only win if your opponent's bluffing, sometimes a much worse hand is actually a, a, a better hand to call with than a very, very good hand. So, for example, I'll use one. Let's say it comes king 10-8, 10-4, right? 
Now, on that river, you know, if your opponent bet's big, you know, really big, you'd rather have, like, ace-four than king-queen. Right. Which is crazy to think, because, like, queen, the queen potentially blocks, you know, the queen-jack, queen-nine bluffs or whatever like that. So it's really just interesting when you get there. But it's also very difficult to figure out, like, all right, did I just overfold? Did I just overcall? Like, you know, and then you, you look at it later in the evening and you take a look and you hope that the long, the more you study it, the better you get at making sure that you're calling it a clip. Because the, I don't, I don't want to play the game of trying to exploit by thinking, oh, I think he's under bluffing here. I think he's over bluffing here. I'm not going to do that, right? I'm assuming that he's studied, that he's doing, you know, a very balanced job of having enough bluffs in all of these spots. So I'm just going to focus on my end and be like, all right, I'm going to try to make, you know, come up with a GTO response for this. And of course, I make a lot of mistakes. But, you know, I'm trying to play as close to the line as possible. That's not the that's not the Daniel people are used to, right? The Daniel people are used to are the famous YouTube clips where, like, you're calling people's, like, hand out. Like, oh, he has aces. And then, like, he actually does have aces. And then all these, like, super, like, how did he know kind of kind of things. You, you were famous for those kind of kind of phrases, right? But you paid anyway. Yeah, well, well poker's evolved, right? It's no longer, like, I think you got king nine. <laughs> you're like, no. no. <laughs> He's got king nine. Well, the truth is, back then, it was so easy to discern what a range would look like. And it wasn't vast. It wasn't like a whole grid of hands that the person could have. It's either like they either got this, this, or this. That's it, you know, um, based on, you know, the simplicity of the game trees that people were, you know, executing back then. So in order to compete against really, really good players, you have to sort of, to a certain, you well, for the most part, you have to turn your exploitive mind off for the most part. And... I want to make sure I eloquate this, uh, say this properly, but if I was playing against a bad player and I want to make the most money, and Doug is not a bad player, he's very, very good. If I wanted to make the most money against the bad player, I'm going to look at the biggest mistakes they make and exploit the shit out of it, right? right? Not by playing GTO. So GTO is literally just a barometer and a line to learn like, all right, what is the baseline, okay? Right? And then if you play against regular human beings, you're like, all right, well, this is the baseline, but this guy, he never bluffs. So I don't have to call with all my bluff catchers. I can gut them. I can, you know, mm -hmm. gut all of them if I want, whatever the case may be. But the key is understanding and learning the fundamentals of, of what an actual, you know, GTO response would be. So the value is in there. And, and then again, at the highest levels, the equilibrium between great players is always going to divert back to predominant, like to pretty close to a GTO match. There may be a period where, say, if I was playing Berkey and all of a sudden, you know, Berkey's overcalling like crazy. We notice that. We pick it up. All right. So we start under bluffing, you know, and then Berkey figures it out. He's like, oh, shit, I'm not calling. I'm not I'm not calling you anymore. You stopped under bluffing. So then I got to go back. And it's a back and forth seesaw match that often ends up back to, you know, roughly a, a GTO baseline. I really uh, I, I was going to say something with regards to like when K-Rab was, was doing commentary with us, uh, just that he kind of mentioned that at the end of the day, even though you're all operating off the same baseline, uh, it does end up mattering who notices the exploits. Um, but I, I think we've beaten that horse to death and I, I think it's very clear like where we stand on that as well. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. I really appreciate you taking on this match, even though I said, I don't love the fact that Doug is back in the or in the limelight. Um, I think that this is huge for poker. I think whether you want it or not, you are the biggest ambassador to poker and you're the face. So these things go a really long way. Um, you know, I, I, I'm speaking for us here, but also the community where I think that hopefully people see this for what it is. 
and that this is two high-level professionals who are willing to put the work in and put their money where their mouths are. Um, I, I hope that there's a lot more of this to come. And as somebody who bet on your side, I, I hope that you uh, crawl out of this, what are, what are we at, a 20 buy-in downswing right now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd the downswing's it. bigger because I was ahead, but yeah. It's, okay, it's yeah. 20. <laughs> well, right now we're minus 20, so I'd love to see you bring this back to zero. Uh, I, I guess just from my standpoint, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you taking the interview and taking time with us today. Always, man. You guys are fun to, to listen to here and there. And uh, when, I, when I got some free time in the gym, I turn you guys on and, and listen in. Good to hear, man. I'm so honored that you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Or was I bluffing? Sure, Ooh. sure. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. All right, best of luck moving forward, man. Take care, guys. See you. I had one more question. You cut me off. The only, the only criticism I had, I, if I was Daniel, I would just shut, shut it off at two hours, right? Because I think every hour he has with his team oh, yeah, is yeah, better yeah. than... Every hour he has with his team is better than him playing. You're just saying that, like, uh, exaggerating the match as long as possible gives him more time to prep. Right, because yep. I think every hour he has with his team is better, is more useful it's than more every hour right. that Doug has with his team. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot on yeah. the on the broadcast. Where for Doug, there's a little bit of, um, uh, I guess, like the, the 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 prep hours aren't worth that much. Right, he's so close to operating at whatever his peak strategy is. Uh, sure, he's going to gain something by being in the lab, but it's not going to be nearly as much as Daniel. Daniel's growing literally match by match, session by session, whatever the case may be. So. Basically, what you're saying is that if he restricts the playtime to a shortened period, then that increases the amount of study time he has, which is going to have a compounding effect on his strategy moving forward. Yeah. Uh, where for Doug, he has like kind of diminishing returns. If he has 20 hours or 40 hours in between matches, he can't do that much. For right? sure. He's not going to do that much to increase his EV of the next match, but Daniel might be able to. Yeah. There's probably some some factors that I'm not, you know accounting for that maybe he's just like maybe he's playing really well that day and they think that you know that's the time to press or they could have stipulations too where they have to get an x amount of hours before date y right right there, there could be of hands. yeah there could be a lot of things there for sure but i think there was a couple things that i'm a little bit excited about man we might see a hundred thousand hands we might see daniel versus gary we might see daniel versus fucking limitless we might see daniel versus matt burke like yo this shit is crazy like daniel's like let's go i want all the smoke like you know i mean yeah i i think that like the the one thing Daniel's about it, fucking back, bro. That Kid part I poker. agree. With. Uh, I I hope fucking that, man poker now. <laughs> I I hope to see him out there more. Like, uh, yo, he didn't really give an exact answer, but I would like to see post this match a lot more of Daniel in whatever the poker sphere is. We don't know because of COVID, mm -hmm. right? So we don't know what that's going to be. Maybe it's high stakes poker. Maybe it's back on the tour. We don't we don't really know. Maybe we don't go live again until the World Series. But uh, I do think that that is one thing that he touched on that I think is pretty accurate is this is kind of a byproduct of COVID. So if by, you know, say this match ends in early February and suddenly we have a vaccine in like March, I don't think he's going to be spending the spring necessarily battling Garrett. Right. I, I mean, the World Series is going to be coming up. Like at the end of the day, that's always going to be his number one focal point. He's going to want to win player of the year. He's going to want to win multiple bracelets. He's going to have a ton of money and a ton of action on whatever next summer's uh, series of events are. And I think we're all relatively confident that by the time next June rolls around, we're going to have some semblance of a World Series of poker again. 
I don't know, man. Maybe he could just be it. he could just be it again. Like Ivy, Ivy cares about the series, but he's also like he Ivy also doesn't ready. Care about the series. He has all the bracelets, bro. Ivy can't care about the series. They they fucking garnished his wages. Like he he shows up to a tournament and they're like, yeah, we'll take that. Ivy got it in Bitcoin, man. A yoink. Ivy's like, pay me in Bitcoin. Let's go. Rio's not gonna pay you in Bitcoin. I know. I know. It sucks. I mean, they write you a. They write, they write you a tax form, and the guy's sitting there ready to tap him on the shoulder and be like, excuse me, sir, I don't know if you know this, but you lost a lawsuit, and we're going to take that. I know. It seems like things were settled, though. I mean, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm yeah, not sure actually, I, maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, I thought I did hear something about there being a reversal. Yeah. Like he won like, an appeal, maybe? I, I think I think it's just, like, over. Like, they, they, they're good. Mm. Like, I'm excited for Daniel, though. I don't know, man. I felt good about this interview. Like, I felt like he's ready. I, I do feel a little bit more encouraged than I have been just sitting there watching him like grind out a thousand hands at a time. It's hard, man. Like he, uh, he really is taking on like one of the biggest tasks of his career. Like this might be the hardest thing he's ever done. Yeah, like, it really is. Like he's he's played tournaments. He's been amazing at tournaments his entire career. Mm-hmm. This is not. I think there might be one other time that was really hard is like when he played heads up versus Easelder. Like that was tough, but it yeah, was a yeah. short sample. They only right. they only agreed to like twenty five hundred hands or something like that. Yeah, it was a short sample, and then it was split between two. Isildur won the first one, and then uh, Daniel won the second one. Uh, at the end of the day, Isildur won a little bit more than than what Daniel won. But this is harder. This is twenty five thousand hands. Way different situation. Also, things are you know things have evolved. Where like Isildur today maybe loses to Doug Polk, you know things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know too much about what what's going on in Isildur's, Isildur's world. I would imagine he would want to do an eight game type of matchup if uh, if he were ever going to enter these streets. Uh, the little bit that I know about him is just that he's remarkably good at all the games, more so than an expert at one game. Um, so I, I guess, like you know, as an aside, that would seemingly make a lot more sense than anything else. But yeah, I, I mean, Daniel seems like he's in good spirits for a man who's down a million dollars. So. God bless him for that. Uh, I do hope that he's right that the all-in all EV turns around. Um, and, you know, I do think it's worth mentioning. We didn't really bring it up during the interview. But Doug did say that if the if the whole cards were completely reversed, he thinks he would be down. Uh, he thinks he would be down less. But he does think that, like, he acknowledges that luck has been on his side. He acknowledges that, like, he would be losing in Daniel's spot um, if if all things were, were just completely inversed. One of the things that I think is interesting, too, is the public perception, right? I think people have been pretty critical of Daniel because of results. Mm-hmm. And people that aren't necessarily experts at poker in general, like just like high stakes regs that have been on huge downswings, like you've been on huge downswings, things like that. I think they're overly critical, like, oh, Daniel's getting his head beat in and things like that. It's like, bro, like, you don't see the cards. They were same, thing, same thing about Phil, though, when he was getting mopped by Vinny Vitti. Right. And that was another situation where, like, he was running pretty freaking bad. Like, I was watching those, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, not flush, res, not flush, boat under boat. Like, it's just like, okay, bro, like, this sucks, you know? Yeah. But he came back over a million dollars. It was in euros. Yeah, true. Know? That little exchange rate is nice, you know. <laughs> but it's kind of sucks, right? Like that match was super famous. I, this one dwarfs all matches. Like I think everyone tuned in for the last match of Galfon. I think everyone's tuning in for this one, and, and I think well, it's getting more coverage, right? Like you didn't have Ingram covering Galfon. That's 
Right. You know, that's 5,000 concurrent viewers a day, somewhere in the neighborhood of like probably 50,000 per video. And same thing, you didn't have Gigi and uh, Polk's channel covering Galphon. So like, it was literally only the Run It, Run it Once channel. And it's just nowhere near as big as these other entities. So it'd be like, you know, it, it, it's more akin to like what the numbers were doing, which pale by comparison. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like the Galphon match was just a marketing issue mm. and a lack thereof. Um, whereas with Negranu and Polk, they have machines behind them. And they're really, you know, not to use uh, use this pun too much, but like they're really backing the truck up on the marketing for this. That, those phrases are banned on this channel, bro. <laughs> but like, you know, it's, it's it's true. Like, you know, on any given day when this match is popping off, we're talking about like a random Tuesday on hand number 9,255. There's like 20,000 concurrent viewers watching, maybe more. So how would you handle this then? Like, because there are some big matches coming up, like MJ versus Limitless is freaking huge, like massive, massive stakes, right? Then you have a potential a Garrett challenge coming up, which he's saying, I'll play bigger. Yeah. Right? So these are two major matches that potential one is definitely happening and the other one if it happens will also be big but the stakes are stakes that we've probably never seen right like the limitless versus mj you're looking at like who knows four thousand eight thousand something something ridiculous. no no they're playing 501k no they're not that's what they had initially talked about they were going to play live 501k okay i'm not sure I'm not sure how big. It is. Um, but I yeah, wrong, I mean, though. like the thing with the MJ Limitless match, we're not going to know anything about it. It's just going to happen live, right? So there isn't going to be any coverage. It, it it might be you know we might get like some sort of reporting, right? Be it you know poker news or or whatever. But um, we're only going to get a tiny sliver of a glimpse into that match. Maybe so maybe you think a couple it'll be it'll hands. be something like when um, when Todd Brunson played Andy, right? Where it was just like in Bobby's room, no one knows what's happening, but like you just stuff to it. say because like when that happened, like the internet wasn't really a thing. So like, you know, if you read, uh, I mean, I assume you're talking about like more so in the corporation days or you're talking about more recently. Well, I'm just saying recently, like, you know, recently they... it's like nobody even knows about it. But like, if you're talking about back in the corporation when it was the the professor, the banker, and the suicide king, when that book was written or, or, or the time frame in which it was written, um, you know, there, there are moments in that book where they said like the, the local poker economy in Vegas just shut down because everybody had a piece of that. Like everybody was all in on the corporation side. So there wasn't a game to be had in town. Mm. And yeah, it was like pre-internet mostly or pre-social media at least. So the updates were just like the rumor mill, right? Like people would just show up to the card room to like sweat from afar and just try to be like lit in the loop. Okay, so the information I just got is that it the MJ versus Limitless is 1K, 2K mm. on PokerGo. Potentially 2K, 4K on PokerGo. So that's definitely the biggest stakes we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, for you sure. Know? For sure. How, how would how do you think they should handle that in terms of promotion? Because that's that depends on how many hands they get, right? right? Like I I don't imagine that. I mean, maybe they are. Maybe they're playing the entire match on PokerGo, uh, where it's just every single day we can tune in, we can watch nosebleeds. But I imagine neither player really wants that. Yeah, I'm sure that. I, I doubt both players would want that, but let's just throw it out there that it's. Let's say they play a thousand. Right, a thousand hands. Enough where people are going to tune in. They're going to watch. Those are huge. That's a lot. Things. That's twenty sessions, of of live under the lights. Well, uh, like a thousand, like maybe five, right? Because the, remember, five? remember Daniel, they played like two hundred hands. No, well, yeah, but that's that's like a, a full day. Um, All right, so let's say between it's five. Okay, yeah, between so, five and and ten. Sure, whatever. sure. 
definitely the biggest stakes that we've seen live, period, mm -hmm. right? How would they promote that? Because, you know, neither are are massive names to the general public, sure. right? Yeah. But they need, these are the biggest stakes. These are the, the two heads. One probably considered like a live, a live master and another one an online master colliding, right? For the biggest stakes ever. How would you handle that marketing? As, like, as, as a businessman. I you, mean, you have to build the machine, right? Yeah. It has to start now, not like the time that the match occurs, not even a month before the match occurs. Like, I don't know when they plan on playing, but um, you really have to start building out the machine. Like, we need to get to know who these players are. Like, uh, uh, you know, sort of like what they did in the NHL for um, the Winter Classic. They would just follow the teams leading up to the Winter Classic, right? And they would do 24-7. They do it for boxing as well. So the whole purpose of that is to create sides. Mm -hmm. it's, it's to create a hero and a villain. It's to create uh, some sort of drama that otherwise doesn't exist in a, a sporting event. Um, and, you know, like we know who these guys are because we're in, in the know and we're in a small niche circle that, uh, you know, brushes elbows. But in a general sense to the, to the population, to your local guy who plays at the VFW, these names mean nothing. Right. And the stakes don't mean anything to them either. Really? They're shut out. They're shut out. Like the guy who plays a $40 tournament at the VFW who subscribes to Poker Go does not give a fuck about people playing for houses, especially if they're people he doesn't know. He gives a fuck if Ivy's playing for houses because right. he adores Ivy and he wants to see Ivy win a house and he doesn't care who Ivy's playing against. But if you just get two guys, whether they are rich Silicon Valley types or two elite professionals that he doesn't know and they're playing for blinds that replicate his monthly salary, he's not happy. He's angry. He doesn't want to watch that. He wants to turn it off because like they are just common folk to him who get to be in this privileged position that he's not able to relate to. So I do think that there's a lot of marketing and a big machine that needs to be built out in order to promote this and have it succeed. Now, it doesn't have to succeed. It could also just be something that lives on the platform and you know the hardcores watch it and nobody else does and that is what it is. But that seems like an opportunity lost. So you think it's similar to creating these trailers similar to what PokerGo did for high stakes poker, but in a different facet, right? It'll be like creating the trailer for Limitless, creating the trailer for MJ in terms of like, who are these people? Why do you care? Who should you root for, you know? If you're Spanish out there, you're rooting for my man, MJ Gonzalez. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you out there, you're European, you're rooting for my man, Limitless. Like, you out there, you, you picking sides. I don't know what side I'm going to pick. I mean, maybe I look a little Spanish. Maybe I'm rooting for my man, MJ. I'm not sure. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think it goes well beyond the truth. I mean, I'm not trying to create race relations here sure. or anything. No, like that, but yeah, you, know, you would never do that. Yeah, I would never create, like, racial tension. That's crazy. But I'm just saying, you know? People um, relate to who they relate to. Yeah, I think it goes way beyond trailers. Like, people need to know who these guys are and why why they are at the levels that they're at and why that's important to give a shit about basically right. um and that's hard that's that's a huge huge undertaking that you know maybe uh poker go isn't really interested in taking up like because it's easy for them to just plug and play right. we have a studio show up we'll put it on boom yeah done no money off or you know it's just the cost of the operating that turning day. on the lights that day yeah Mm -hmm. um, but actually building the machine for like, you know, the, the, the way that like, the, again, I, I relate to boxing because this happens all the time. We, we forever see contenders that are no names 
and champions that uh, don't necessarily drive the pay-per-view needle yet, right? Uh, MMA is another good example. Dana White is a master at this. Mm. Just creating names and bouts that people ultimately give a shit about. Uh, and it all comes from nothing that happens in the ring, right? It all comes from things like the ultimate fighter. It comes from uh, these backstories, uh, you know, uh, UFC 24-7 or whatever the... The press conferences where like, yeah. you know, some people are fucking throwing chairs. Like, right. you know, maybe MJ got to throw a little chair out there. You know, you just throw a chair at my man's bus. Like, you know? Well, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't need to get that extreme, but like it does need to be consistent, right? It's it's every single day this needs to be a topic of conversation. And uh, we're just not good at that in this community at all. Uh, we just are very, very poor at highlighting. I mean, Doug is good at it. Doug is very good at it, but only in self-interested ways. Correct. Uh, I, I don't think he's really ever propped up very much else um, outside of like, you know, actually kind of tearing down Dean eggs, which led to this this challenge ultimately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in a general sense, like we're not very good at this uh, and it's why these matches just kind of go by the wayside. I mean, like you said, or uh, like Daniel said, actually, uh, there's high stakes heads up taking place on the internet all the time right. between killers. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit. I don't even give a shit. And I'm a hardcore. Mm. I was like, I don't care one bit what Linus is doing versus the, these other Europeans that are all fucking sickos. I see some hands. I see some five highs finding a way to like shove river for 10% pot and getting called by like, you know, the, the 20th nut flush or whatever. But like uh, outside of it takes finding equilibrium to do a video on the hand for me to care. Right. So like there are these funnels that will feed uh the 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 greater population right like even finding equilibrium like that's niche that will still address just that'll suck the hardcores in right pads he'll suck the hardcores in and the ancillary circle around that but like it takes a poker so maybe it does take poker go giving the green light for these channels to to do it right? oh but it's so much bigger right it has to start with poker go where they're like we're going to capture everybody and then on top of that we're going to splinter off into these 20 other uh, influencers who can now bring in the hardcores and and solidify. Right, that's what I'm saying. I think I think at least PokerGo has to give the green light for the influencers to say, okay, let us use your footage. Let Finding Equilibrium break late, it down. It, but it's too late at that point. Once the match has started, right. it's too late. Right? Like, you're not going to have people retroactively tuning in. Yeah, that's true. So, so yeah, that's I it, mean, man. We got to make the phone the call. We got to be like, yo, Brent, listen, what's the plan? Right. Like, Come sit down here. Tell us the plan it's so that people care. Man. You know, what it's I'm expensive. Marketing is the most costly aspect of doing business, and you know, for these guys, like they just want to play cards. Yeah, I want to see some deep stack hundred big blind. Yeah, you guys all run your fucking solver, like you know all the fucking answers. Like, <laughs> like let's let's play some deep stack poker where you need. Real fucking shit and live. None of this shit like you have your spreadsheet up, your fucking randomizer on the side. No. Fuck that. Live. Deep stacks. Let's go. It's definitely two different aspects of the game. And I think to your point, like the common viewer can relate a lot closer to live. Yeah. Like they'll they'll be able to I mean they can't relate to Gary, like fucking six three huge arms. They're not relating to that shit. But like, you know. No, but they 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 can relate to him getting a little spicy with the uh seven five suited from the under the gun one you know yeah i like garrett they, they can chill. they can they can mix with that they they can understand that he straddled with 10 six suited and he's not giving it up no matter how many bets went in prior yeah like you know they they understand you gotta defend your soldiers 
I like that. I like that. Yeah, 250 big blinds live. I might set it up right here, man. I might just set it up right here. You know, if Garrett wants to play Daniel, I swear to God, I'll fucking open this fucking whole thing up. Like, there'll be... You'll get, you guys will get 17 different camera angles if that shit happens. Right. My man Andre, he's in the booth. He's ready to run the whole thing. Yeah. Like, he's, I don't care. Let's go. 17 different camera angles. You'll have a fucking live interview. I'll fucking bring in Maria Ho to do this live interview. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I hear you, man. I hear you. No, it, it should be interesting. There's, a, there's definitely a lot on the docket for the poker community. We'll see uh, how everything shakes out. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this fascinating episode it was one of my favorite episodes if you're listening on twitch if you're if you're everywhere fucking everywhere youtube twitch twitter spotify apple what is what is apple podcast itunes what, itunes know. is dead they, they, that's just discontinued i don't have apple man i don't know Apple's the shit, bro. How do you not have Apple? That's crazy. But that's I'm right. Going to Google. No, that's right. We don't have Apple here. So if Google's listening to this and they hit me up this morning, they're like, listen, I don't know. We can't. I know. I know. Bitcoin's up, but we could only pay in shares. We could only pay in shares. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like shares, like, okay, like, sure. You know, I had to play the part, you know? Yeah, like, yeah sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, we need the logo here. We need to take this logo off. And I was like, you guys are asking for a lot. How many shares are it? Mm-hmm. Are they? And they were like, we'll talk tomorrow. So I'll wait. You know okay. what I'm saying? Yeah. But I do appreciate all the people watching. All the people, you know, Ellipsy's out there watching. He's out there in the mix. He's he's watching. Daniel was watching. I'm sure he watched a little bit of this. Like, he knows that I'm honored for him to be here. Mm-hmm. He's an honorary guest. That's right. That's what I was trying to say. I hear you, man. He was trying to throw a little shot at me. It's not going to work. Haircut's in. I'm climbing mountains. It's all over. I'm glad you all enjoyed the show. Peace.